Welcome to the SAMA podcast. We ask the smartest customer-facing people in B2B how to become trusted advisors to the customers their companies can't afford to lose. I'm Harvey Dunham. So welcome everyone. Harvey Dunham from SAMA, and it's my pleasure today to introduce you to Michael Thomas, the founder of Magnetic Services and a personal friend of mine and professional colleague for the last nine years. Michael, welcome to the SAMA podcast series. Thank you so much, Harvey. I've been looking forward to really, I'd say, unpacking this provocative title you provided about the challenge of selling expertise and not product and how to transform SAMs into high value advisors and and how to support them with digital content. And I'm gonna dive right into this. You talk a lot about the strategic account manager's role as a broker of expertise. Can you explain what you mean by that term? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's kind of two ways to look at this. There's how the SAMs communicate and articulate and exchange their own expertise based on what they've done and worked on over their years of, of, of sales experience and professional experience with their customers. And then there's the aspect of thinking about a SAM as a, as a broker or as a bridge to the expertise that lives within the organization. And I think while the first topic, the first part of that is, is very interesting, I think the second part is more germane to what we're talking about uh, today on this podcast. And I'm talking very generally here, you know, throughout the next, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, you know, we're talking generally about SAMs as a community. I know there's a lot of exceptions to what we're going to discuss, but I think generally SAMs are used to thinking of themselves as a, as a gateway or a bridge to products and solutions for their customers. And I think a lot of that has to do with the role that they play <clears throat> typically over a long period of time with their, with their customers. But in the topic of selling or, or discussing expertise and acting as a broker, to expertise within the organization. I think in a lot of cases, the SAMs is a much more important and substantial part of the economy than what they're used to, the role that they're used to playing. When we talk about expertise, you could also label it as something called KIBS, K-I-B-S, Knowledge Intensive Business Services. But typically, you know, KIBS or expertise-based services don't, don't usually show up in a product catalog. They're not usually as well documented as other products or technologies or platforms or solution sets in terms of information that your customers can find online about them and have at their, at their disposal. So the, the SAM is really key. They're really absolutely critical to connecting the customer with the expertise inside the seller's organizations. Oftentimes, customers can't connect directly via website the same way that they do a platform uh, or a product or a technology. And, and we'll talk about this as well, the services teams, generally speaking, that represent that expertise, they don't really have the opportunity to scale as broadly as your SAM community does. There's just less of them. So I, I think, you know, from both sides of the table, from the customer's perspective and from the teams that represent the expertise and how to make things happen for those customers, the SAM is really at the middle and they play a very critical role. That's great, Michael. And, I, you know, there's just a a couple of quick clarifications, or I, you know, I just want to make sure I understand this right. When you're talking about services, you're not really talking about break-fix services where somebody sold a product or a solution and it breaks down. This is something completely different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would think you know, break-fix services. If you think about traditional sales models like the seven-step sales model or things like that, you know those are typically step six, step seven, which is you know service after the sale. But that's not really based on expertise. 
per se. You know, I'm, I'm discussing, and I think in the context of this conversation, we're talking about traditional professional services, you know, bodies of expertise within an organization that know how to solve problems using a variety of tools and assets and products, some within your selling organization, some external, but primarily what they have is the ability to solve problems that are germane to your customers. And they do that by leveraging and monetizing the expertise that they have in those teams. So yeah, typical, you know, professional services, not really break fix or things like that. Gotcha. And so when, when Sam's are faced with this opportunity, I would say, or challenge, what kind of problems do they run into when they're, when they're trying to sell its expertise? And I guess they're trying to sell scarcity too, because if there's, as you say, there's not abundant resources like there would be to support a product or a solution that's standard operating procedure for your company. What? I would say typically we, we sort of see at least two or three common re- recurring issues that the same organization will, will face. The first is just a, a, a general lack of language or vocabulary in terms of talking about these expertise-based solutions. So if you're not talking about concepts about, you know, how do we solve problems and how do we, you know, sort of use a clean sheet of paper, use a methodology, use our own expertise, lay it down on that paper, bring the customer into it, and then figure out what is a path to solving something that doesn't necessarily have a pathway via a product. If you don't have that kind of conversation regularly, you're not particularly fluent at it. And so I think one of the issues, one of the first issues Sam's face is they don't have um, an awful lot of repetition in their lives talking about this. Therefore, they don't have a very rich vocabulary for describing it. Therefore, it comes across as being a little murky or a little hard to define with their customers. So that's the first thing that we find. You know, they just, they don't have a rich set of vocabulary for talking about the way a business development manager from a services team would. The second issue, which is a little more subtle, but I think it's just as important, is if you teach them then the vocabulary, what you quickly find out is many times they don't have a rich functional understanding of how that services team actually applies its trade. And this is something that, you know, I was thinking about preparing for this podcast and in working for the content for the symposium that's coming up is if you talk to a lot of SAMs, they will usually be able to talk to you about understanding how their products and their solutions are, are created in their own organization. You know, they'll talk about, you know, I've been to our factories, I've been to our plants, I've been to our R&D facilities. And they often will tell you that they've walked the plant floors of their customers. But you ask, start asking them deep questions about services within the organization. How many people are on those teams? Where do they live? What is the, uh, the project management process? How, does a ser- how do your services groups pick a project and staff it? What does a contract look like? What does a typical engagement pattern look like? They're far less fluent on that. So the first issue is pure vocabulary. The second issue is I don't think most SAMs have a deep business understanding of how those teams work. Those two things together put them at a very, put them at a sizable personal deficit when they go in and they talk to senior decision makers at a strategic account, they don't feel like they have solid, a solid foundation of understanding what they're speaking about. And then sort of the last sort of, sort of I would say semi-universal issue is they don't have a high fidelity in terms of qualifying leads for the, for the services teams and turning them over. They typically underqualify. They, turn, they tend to turn leads over in a state compared to how they qualify product or solutions leads. 
and therefore they don't have they don't get a lot of traction with the internal services teams and in, in a lot of cases when you talk to the internal services groups they'll say that they over time they stop listening as keenly to the sam community and they and they rely more on their own internal business developments oh wow yeah so it's not easy that's that's a long story short but it can be done which really leads me you know to to ask well when sams are successful selling this way and have the ability to leverage expertise and scarcity to lead their customers to take action. How do they do that? What, what is that? What are the SAMs doing? The, the, the aspects of what they want to do differently are really not that complicated. Uh, a lot of it just comes down to basics and, and spending the time and the resources and, and getting people familiar with these areas so that they can discuss them with their customers. I think, I think the first thing that you, that you want to address or you want to think about with your strategic account organization on this topic in particular is if you're going to get better at talking about expertise-based services, and if you're going to turn that into leads, and those leads then turn into well-qualified conversations with then you know, some of them turning into wins for you and your customer. First thing you have to address is, are my, are my SAMs in my strategic account organization, are they being what we call constant with services? Are they integrating a services conversation as frequently into their product-based conversations as they should be? And in most cases, they are not. All right. So the first thing you have to do is you have to just you know, ask yourself uh, on a frequency basis, are these people getting a lot of repetition and are they weaving services in to every core conversation they're having at high levels with the customer? So let's, you know, let's sort of start there. Scarcity, the, the using the term scarcity or using this concept of scarcity uh, when you're talking to customers is a very subtle one. And I, I've described it as, you know, this is where you go from sort of brass plated selling to gold plated selling. It's a, it's a real step up, if you will, in your game. But here's the, here's the fundamental concept, you know, just summarized in the basic amount of time we have. At their core, almost all services organizations have by design, they have some business limitations built into them in terms of how they staff and how they keep human capital and human resources on board. Those limitations of running a healthy, expertise-based professional services organization, pretty much by design, mean that some customers may have to wait to get access to a group of people that can solve specific problems that, again, you can't solve by just buying a product. So that level of scarcity is, uh, it's not a sales trick inside a, a services group. It's a fundamental issue to be talked through. It's just like lead time on a major capital purchase that you as a SAM might be talking to your account. If you're not talking about lead time, you're really setting yourself up for a problem in the future. Same thing about scarcity. So what we've seen is you know, you've got to sort of talk SAMs through this idea that it's not, a, it's, it's not an elephant in the room. You need to bring it up and there's ways to use it uh, to your advantage. And the primary way is helping the customer see that that scarcity is actually an opportunity for competitive differentiation and advantage. If, if I'm applying my human resources, my expertise to you, that by default gives you a 12 to 18 month advantage in solving a problem versus your next peer competitor. So if scarcity is in there anyway, why don't we use it to your advantage, not the next person on the list? And if you, if you don't, as a customer, which at this point in time, you know, your terminology is flipping from customer to client. It's one of the you know, sort of vocabulary subtleties that you'll hear. You talk to services organizations, they're not customers, they're clients. And 
So if I want to leverage that as a competitive advantage for you as a client, well, then we can. If you don't, I respect that. Do not be surprised, though, when, you know, I've heard all your reasons and all, all your rational, you know, justifications for why now is not a good time to engage on this. Don't be surprised, though, when I go to the next one down on the list. And I'm going to keep going until I find someone who is in that right spot to utilize these resources. And then I'm applying them. Might be a year or two before I get back to you. That is just a fact. It's not a sales trick. And having that level of frank, transparent conversation with senior management, they get that. And so what you may hear is maybe not those services right now, but I'll tell you what we would be interested in looking at is an alternative B right now. So I think scarcity, it, you, you, you have to sort of demystify it, take away the mythology around it, and then it becomes something that SAMs can use to their advantage. Wow, amazing. Maybe just a quick follow-on question, because we were talking about successful SAMs and, and how do they actually use this leverage and all. In simple terms, what's in it for them in terms of being able to achieve their goals? I mean, you know, the most, the most basic would probably be, well, you know, you make more money, right? You sell more stuff. But really, if you think about it, it's like, well, you're selling more stuff because you're solving more problems for the customer. Okay, so let's not get confused here. You're getting rich because you're making somebody else richer. And that's because you're being successful at solving the things that are important to them. So that's a very you know, upfront sort of, you know, first level of, you know, <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. Um, but as you go further up the scale, what you, what you find with, these, with some SAMs that tend to have a, you know, a higher level of aptitude on this for a variety of different reasons, what typically what they talk about being in it long term for them is they get pulled up the value chain in the customer, in the client. And they're working just as hard, if not harder, but they're not working on the same things they used to be. These are the SAMs that you will typically hear internal to your own organization using some political capital and making statements like, I do not have time anymore to do certain things. You know, we need to split this account and I need to be focusing on certain aspects of it. I need somebody else to be focusing on other aspects. And the other aspects, maybe are things I used to do three, five years ago, contractual issues, product delivery issues, you know, fire, typical firefighting, customer sat issues. I don't have the transactional cycles for that anymore. So I think that's really where the value lays. This is a path for the SAM to reach the SAM holy grail of becoming a trusted advisor. Customer. Well, I think it's an important step, you know, because if you're going to give advice, if you're going to be an advisor, you better be able to give advice and you're not always going to have the advice. So you need to be able to plug the people in that do, but beyond just sort of, you know, playing kingmaker and saying, Hey, you need to talk to this person in our services team. They come from a acquisition of a software company we made and boy, are they really smart. That's just, you know, that's just being a broker. You know, you have to be an integral part of being able to say, you know, I really understand these problems. I can really apply my industry expertise to what I'm seeing in other customers like you. I think I have an idea we ought to look at. I want to bring somebody else in to, to, to use it. You got to play a bigger role than that. But I agree with you completely. It's an integral step in, in getting to that point. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, clearly there's companies that sell in this manner and, and, mm -hmm. and you know a lot about this topic. So... How did you learn to learn about this and, and master it yourself? 
Well, I mean, in my own personal journey, I worked uh, in professional services for many years. I ran some custom application development teams early in my career, and I learned through the school of hard knocks, basically, for, for quite a period of time. And then I was very fortunate. I got hired by uh, Microsoft in the, in the mid-90s, and I had the opportunity to work for a number of years in their global consulting organization, uh, Microsoft Consulting Services. I was a managing consultant there, ran some consulting groups, you know, managed certain aspects of P&Ls and teams. And I, you know, so I've seen, I've seen how large scale you know, sort of high revenue services organizations run from the inside out. So that really took care of a lot of the fundamental business knowledge and, you know, my personal ability to sort of speak the language. But the concepts of how you sort of click these, these things together, like Lego bricks and make something that's repeatable. You know, I had gotten to a point where I knew how to do it well on a personal basis. But if you had asked me to probably mentor groups, I would not have been nearly as effective back then as I, as I am now. But one of the things that happened uh, later in my career at Microsoft, just personally, was I had the opportunity to spend a lot of cycles up at the executive briefing center in Redmond. And I was able to see the patterned approach that very senior leaders used, uh, senior group product managers, you know, business unit vice presidents or presidents, uh, very senior expertise-based people, people that knew certain domains and certain problems really, really well. And I was able to see how they were able to communicate to a Fortune 500 companies sort of one after another with a lot of repetition. And I realized maybe the light went on. I don't know, maybe it should have gone on a long time before that, but the light went on. It's like, oh my goodness, there's, there's a pattern here. And you can actually decode this and you can crack this down. And so that serves, so that was sort of you know, the basis for a lot of the, the consulting that we do. Now, in your, your original part of the question, you're actually right. There clearly are companies that do this well, you know, traditional you know, large consulting organizations, IBM, Oracle, things like that. I, I think what's interesting is typically, though, when we talk to clients, many of the best, many of the best uh, consulting examples they're going to come across are more boutique partners in their own industry space. So almost every client, has a few niche partners that they work with and you know they're fractional in size of some of, the, of, of some of these global organizations but you want to talk about good they're good you talk to a partner that's been around 10 or 12 years they really have got it figured out they know what their niche is they know how to describe it they know how to qualify they run a good resource pool in terms of utilization they've really got a, a good services business going and those people are very fluent they're very efficient at, at this sort of thing. So this really fits with, I'd say a typical company that's selling products and, and their general strategy is I'm making a product and I'm going to try and sell it to as many people as I can. Mm -hmm. So they have a very much a one to many kind of an approach, but inside that company, they have to have expertise. They have to have deep knowledge to be a leader in an industry. And so the SAMs that are really, you know, joined these product companies, I certainly did, you know, to learn how to sell the expertise and scarcity that exists within that company. How do you, how do you get them there? What, how do you get somebody that, that grew up, you know, selling products and is really good at it and, and get them to that ability to be able to, to confidently do this okay. and, and, and do it in a way that creates mutual value co-creation, which is the... Mm -hmm the goal of every SAM. It's got to be good for the customer, but it's got to be good for your company too. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, it's in summary, if, you, if the podcast cut off right now, short answer is at the end of the day, if you want that group to get better, it's a combined approach. 
It's a broad spectrum approach. It's not a singular answer. What you're going to do is you're going to create a program. You're not going to you know, procure a training course. You're going to create an organizational change program if you want that body of human beings to get better at this kind of skill set. So you start right there and you knock 50% of all the people off. You know, 50% of the organizations that say they're, they want their teams to be better at this. They want them to be more like trusted advisors. They're not even close to willing to go down that path. So then 50% of them just sort of drop off. Then you're left with the other 50 who maybe are willing uh, to do something. So if you look at it from a program approach, you know, one of the fundamentals is you have to establish relevant, rational, reasonable targets for what you want to see this behavioral change in six months, 12 months, 24 months. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I want us to be better. I want us to be more trusted by our clients. I want us to be offering more expertise and giving them access to it. But then you got to put numbers down on a piece of paper. And I would say the, lead, you know, the first leading indicator is, let's try to take a sample of how many times they're having these conversations on their own today. And then, you know, what would we like to see? Would we like to see 10, 20, 25%, 50%? increase in those conversations in six months, that's a perfectly reasonable leading indicator. Second le leading indicator, sort of a midterm indicator, maybe around the 12 month, you should see a drop in the number of leads that are being sent to your services teams internally, but you should hear those services teams say, but the ones we're getting are higher qualified and are more suited for what we do. That's a midterm indicator that your SAMs are not only now having conversations, but they're getting better at throwing out the ones that are not going to move forward. But one of the issues you have with services is your expertise is everybody's happy to have another conversation talking to a better consultant to pick their brains about expertise. That's almost universal. That is not a buying indicator at all. Then maybe 18 months, 12 to 18 months later, now you should see bigger funnel in your services. Some things have converted to wins. You should now actually start seeing some commercial effects. So the first answer is you better be ready to design a program. Then if you have that mapped out, well, then you can go and look at the individual skills things. And there's you know, training you can do. There's workshops that you know, we've created. And, and, and then you can find the building blocks for the skills improvement to snap in there. And I know one of the things we'll talk about here in a minute is a, a key component we believe and what we're seeing with our clients is, is using digital content. So going beyond just training and actually get, empowering the SAMs with, with a different type of content when they're doing these conversations really can be a multiplier on it. So what, what's expected for a program like this has to be inspected and measured. That's, that's a key point. Mm -hmm. And this is a program. This is really something you've got to institutionalize and, you know, put an effort into. It's got to be a formal program-led initiative. It's not a one-off kind of capability done well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it comes down to, are we talking at an organizational level? Are you trying to create a change of behavior? Right. Are you trying to change, are you trying to create a net effect? Yep. Or... Are you just trying to teach people more about a topic? There's, there's, no, there's no problem with the first one. Just don't kid yourself, right? You know, just be clear. You can, you can make an investment and, and you can have SAMs learn more about services. You can have SAMs learn how to talk about services better. You can do things like that. Some SAMs will benefit. Most will not. 
they'll all enjoy it. It's in, interesting, but you know, sort of good luck seeing a difference. If you want to see a difference, you got to wrap it in a program. This is a transformation. This it is, is. This it is, is a transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Neat. If that's what you want. If, that, if you, the client, if that's what you're talking about, and that was my, I think that's why I kicked it off that way. You know, it's kind of like, you know, making a commitment to eat better or making a commitment to live a healthier lifestyle or making a commitment to, you know, exercise more. It's like, you know, talk is cheap. Do you really want this or not? Because if you do, you have to take, keep a nutritional journal. You're going to have to measure how much steps you get. Otherwise, it's just a good intention. And, and so you build the program, you You've got the players, you're starting to get there. How do you, how do you uh, enable them basically to have these conversations at scale, so to speak, and, and be able to hit those KPIs? Yeah, it's the last part. It's, it's the at scale and hitting the KPIs. That's where the magic happens. And, you know, for a while, we, we had been struggling with this with all, uh, just as long along with a lot of our clients and a lot of the, a lot of other organizations it's it's that that piece right there and over time what we came to believe and what we came to realize is you do the training you do the investment you create the program you get you know the the inertia behind it you get people bought into it and then essentially and I'm I'm paraphrasing here you send them out with a lot of religion and a powerpoint deck and the truth is when you've seen these really well-versed, highly effective senior solutions architects, principal consultants, principal engagement managers, practice managers, partner consultants, you use different terminology in services teams. But when you're talking about these upper echelon people, these true trusted advisors, the last thing they will ever do is whip out a PowerPoint deck. And one of the reasons is to their, in their world, they're like, I don't need a PowerPoint deck to communicate at this level. You know, I have other people that need them, you know, delivery managers and subordinates that need to, you know, deliver at that technical level. You need a deck, but we don't need a deck to talk at the level that we're talking today, Mr. or Mrs. CXO. So they've spent years creating this personal ability and this personal communication content might be grabbing a pen and a whiteboard. It might be, you know, uh, a variety of different things, but it's not a PowerPoint deck put together by your marketing team. It's just not. So I, I think we, we kind of realized this later uh, down the line that a lot of these SAMs were going in, they were trying to do this, and then they bring out the same old deck and you instantly lose credibility with the, with the client. So what we realized was the next best thing was grabbing one of those solution architects and bringing them out on the call with you, but there's just not enough of them. There never are. And another, you know, demystification thing here is surprise those people all have utilization goals so they're not going out with you anyway they're not they're not going out on a call unless they think they're going to be part of the engagement because it's going to apply to their utilization doesn't matter how much you beg so what we what we came to the conclusion is we need to find a way to put that solution architect in the pocket of the sam and so we've developed some uh, technology platforms to create digital content to do that. So using all that experience we had at the Microsoft Executive Briefing Center and seeing these patterns of conversations, we've been able to break those things down and we've been able to make very interactive, very engaging digital content that does not at all look like a PowerPoint because it's not. 
it more mimics what that solution architect would do in the room, walking someone through this expertise offering. It's very interactive with the client, looks very different, it's very visually different. That's a big amplifier for helping these SAMs have these first set of conversations. And a byproduct of, is, of it is that when you create this digital content, you have to work very, very closely with the services team to create it. So when they know that that version is going out with the SAMs, they're a little more bought in than they are previously because they know that's their personal message. So it's an enabler. You know, it lowers that friction of getting those first set of great relationships and great customer calls going. You hit upon the right thing at the right time because in the pandemic, you can't necessarily get those people out in front of the customer anyway. You've got to have something to be able to, to speak with the customer. And you, the, the SAM, if they're, got, if they're leading, if they're the point of the spear on this particular vector of value co-creation, they've got to be able to explain it virtually and get their point across in a very short period of time via Zoom or Teams or WebEx or whatever virtual platform it is. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I would love to say that that was by design, but that was just good luck. But you're absolutely right. When we first started researching this and really applying our own investment to it to make this happen, because there's not like there's just a magic product that you can go out and buy that make this content. It doesn't actually exist. You know, we had this typical idea, you know, this is something that people would show in an executive meeting. They, you know, jack it into the projector and, and, and show it and it, it would be much more impactful than your traditional PowerPoint. But uh, yeah, then the pandemic happened and it went from impactful to impactful and almost irreplaceable because this kind of, this kind of conversation is hard enough in person, even for someone who's been doing it quite a while. You're trying to do it remotely where you can't read the emotion in the room as well. It's harder to maintain, you know, focus. It's, it's harder to maintain authority. You know, one of the things you're doing in these expertise-based high-level conversations is you're, you are projecting authority and confidence. It's hard enough to do that in remote. And then you do a screen share on your PowerPoint and then you're, you're dead. Like it's just, it's over. You're really left with two options. You know, it's either just don't put the PowerPoint up and just try to do it all you know, just with your face, where you got to put up something else. And if you ask people, well, what's your something else option? They're like, I don't know, a PDF. Like, I, I don't have one. It's the truth. So this is an alternative that gets them another five or 10 minutes, establishes more credibility, at least gets people mentally, intellectually thinking, oh, this is different. I haven't heard that. I haven't seen this. I'm paying a little bit more attention to the words. And then it's up to the SAM to utilize all these skills you've taught them to capitalize on that. Well, Michael, this has been hugely insightful. It's a great topic. I mean, I am very passionate about talking about it. We do not claim uh, to have all the answers, but uh, you work on something like this repetitively enough, you start to see some patterns and you have, you, you, you know, you have some good advice you can give people. And, and I'm glad it was useful to you and uh, hopefully to the rest of the SAMA community. I think we're planning on doing a, a symposium in a few months where we're going to explore yes. this topic in more detail. We're going to go in, we're going to look at some of the more specific ways that we address these things, you know, in terms of vocabulary, business understanding, things like that. And we're going to look at the digital content as well. And we're going to talk about how these link those, those worlds together and sort of triangulate that SAM into being able to perform better in front of other people for 28 minutes in a way that they couldn't 12 months prior. And that's where the magic starts to happen.